What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, alongside you here after a Cardinals series sweep of the Cincinnati Reds. How about that? Weekend series at Bush Stadium, the Cardinals take the series behind some strong pitching performances. That has been a topic of conversation throughout the early portion of the season in April. The Cardinals were struggling. The starting pitchers we talked about were being outpitched by the bullpen in terms of innings logged. Cardinals starters had not logged as many innings as Cardinals relievers at one point earlier a couple weeks ago this season. So that was obviously not something that could be sustained for the Cardinals in order for them to have success. And as it turns out, the Cardinal starters have since been able to turn things around. And it was Kwon Young Kim, we talked about his start on Friday, beating the Reds 5-4 to to the Cardinals. And then on Saturday, we didn't have a podcast episode, but the Cardinals go 2 nothing over the Reds, getting a really sturdy outing from John Gant. Probably his best start since joining the Cardinals rotation was efficient was able to get a little bit deeper into the game than he had done in his previous outings for the Cardinals Gant not giving up any runs he liked that and he gets through six innings allowing just three hits and a couple of walks on Saturday Cardinals offense didn't show up in especially fantastic form on Saturday only scoring the two runs but when you don't give up any runs as a, a defense and a pitching unit, you'll take it. You'll take what you get and be able to come away with an important win that allowed the Cardinals to not have to worry about that whole rubber game situation for this series. They're still 0-5 in rubber games, but that's because they didn't have to play one against the Reds this weekend. Saturday, it was Genesis Cabrera and Giovanni Gallegos for two innings doing a nice job to close things out for the Redbirds. And that's an example of you you find a way to scratch across a couple of runs. You get enough from your pitching staff. And the bullpen, when you needed them to, holds on. And I thought it was interesting that Gallegos ended up getting the two-inning save in that game. Mike Schilt had Alex Reyes warming up at one point in time because there was the potential for the pitching spot, the pitcher spot in the batting order, pardon me, to come up in that game. And that would have then allowed for Reyes to enter instead of Gallegos. And it becomes an interesting conversation because Reyes had pitched Friday, remember having to come in in relief of Jordan Hicks, who struggled in his outing in a non-save situation in the ninth for the Cardinals. You have him pitch Friday, Alex Reyes. He gets hot on Saturday. And then once again in Sunday's game, which is what we're going to focus in on most of all because today is the evening of Sunday, April 25th. The Cardinals win this one 5-2, but once again, it got interesting in the ninth inning. And it was essentially, and Alex Reyes said this after the game, he felt like, you know, when you get hot as a reliever, even if you don't come into the game, you still kind of consider that a day that you pitched, a day that you had to perform. You know, he had to be ready at a moment's notice, depending on the situation in the game, to come into that game on Saturday. It didn't happen, but he still fired some bullets down there in the Cardinals' bullpen trying to get prepared for a potential outing. And so you consider day three on Sunday, he comes into the game for the Cardinals in the ninth inning, and again, it's in relief of Jordan Hicks, though this time it was Reyes' plan all along for the Cardinals anyway to have Reyes pitch that ninth inning. It was a little bit rocky once again. Gave up a couple of walks and a hit, 
You had the bases loaded with the potential go-ahead run for the Reds at the plate in a three-run game. Gets the ground out to end it, so the Cardinals able to win the game. But I, I start out talking about the bullpen perspective because I think that was an interesting thread line, through line for the Cardinals and Alex Reyes throughout this series. The man still has not given up an earned run on the season, which is fantastic. But in his fifth save on Sunday, and five saves is pretty good too. We're not too terribly deep into the, the month of April. We've still got another week left in this month. For him already to have five saves is very solid. Expect that he's going to blow way beyond the, I think I put the over-under at 14.5 way back early in spring training before we knew that Alex Reyes would be the closer, but that was kind of the question I was asking. Will Reyes, A, be the full-time closer, and B, will he remain healthy enough to get full-time closer work for the Cardinals? At this point, it seems like he is the guy. You know, Gallegos getting the save on Saturday, but primarily you're going to see Reyes in that role, I think, until further notice. And so I want to touch on that, for one, because the Cardinals have a four-game series coming up against Philadelphia at home starting on Monday. Reyes certainly is not going to be available for tomorrow's game. That would be my expectation because while he didn't pitch officially Saturday and he said it after the game, you feel as a pitcher that that is a day that you were used. And so a good milestone, I think, for Reyes that's worth touching on as we'll do at the beginning of the show here today for him to go three days in a row essentially and it's been a long road back for him he was he was stable last year in the Cardinals relief situation and by the end of the year was probably their their most or, or second most valuable leverage reliever he and Giovanni Gallegos were definitely uh, on that list in 2020 but good to see Ray is just it's no longer really a, a health topic of conversation when it comes to Alex Reyes it's it's just okay can he bear down can he try to limit the walks a little bit because you don't want the roller coaster in the ninth inning if you can at all avoid it and Alex Reyes while he's getting the job done right now would like to see him be a little more efficient with his pitches in the strike zone but hey Cardinals continuing to win when he pitches and so another good day for the Redbirds but let's get into another guy who, as I've said on the show, each time he starts a game, and it maybe in, in the past few weeks hasn't gone exactly to plan for all of these starts, and yet he's been pretty good overall, that's Jack Flaherty. The guy I said is going to come around. He's going to be just fine. And today we saw the latest example of that. He was sensational for the Cardinals, going seven innings, his longest outing of the season. And I believe that ties the most recent outing by Adam Wainwright for the longest start by a Cardinal thus far this season at seven innings. Really good job by Flaherty, who continues to settle into his season. I don't know at the end of the day what we're going to think of this Reds offense and this lineup, uh, this Reds team as a as a club in general, whether we're going to look back on the 2021 season and say this was a, a good team, a bad team, somewhere in the middle. Right now at the 9-12 and record, not a great record, but the, the Reds had a better start to the season, and you just lost three to the Cardinals. They came into this series with a better record than St. Louis, and obviously three games in either direction. That changes things with the Cardinals now at 11-10, and 10, the Reds down to 9-12. and 12. I, My point, though, is I, I think they've got some bats in this lineup. You talk about Castellanos. Winker has had some success and a really good start to the season with an OPS over 1,100 at this point, hitting 381. And he was the lone guy on the Cincinnati Reds today to be able to get to Jack Flaherty, hitting a home run, made it a solo shot in the seventh inning. 
and Flaherty had some other intrigue going on later in that start uh, with the hit-by-pitch situation, which we can get into a little bit. But looking at up and down this lineup, Eugenio Suarez struggling right now. Joey Votto not really off to a great start. And so I don't know how deep necessarily this Reds lineup is going to be. But when you look at what Flaherty was able to do to them today, I think you got to give him a lot of credit. He only gives up three hits. And, and the key to me, didn't walk anybody. Efficiency had been kind of a bugaboo for Jack Flaherty earlier in the season, his first three starts where he's pitching pretty well outside of that opening day start in Cincinnati. He's pitching pretty well, but he wasn't able to get very deep into games because he was toying around with guys far more than Jack Flaherty needs to do because he has the arm talent and he's got the pitch-making ability to put guys away. He can challenge guys, and he doesn't have to waste the number of pitches he's been or nibble kind of is the word that we've used in previous episodes of B-Shape Daily talking about Jack Flaherty's start to the season, there was no nibbling to be had or to be discussed in his outing on Sunday in seven strong for the Cardinals. He only gave up three hits, not many base runners, and once again, just the one home run is really the only thing, the only mark you could have against him. Six strikeouts, that's, that's right in the range that you want for Jack Flaherty. He doesn't have to be a guy that strikes out north of a guy per inning, honestly. If he's at one per inning right around there, to me that says he's pitching to his contact, he's allowing his stuff to work for him and allowing his defense to do the work behind him. You're never going to say for a guy, oh, I don't want to see him strike out more batters because it's, you know, strikeouts are awesome and they're the only guaranteed way to get it out. Once a guy puts a ball in play, anything can happen. But typically the Cardinals are going to trust their defense to make those plays. And Jack Flaherty did plenty of that in the game Sunday, but he still demonstrates the ability to put guys away. He had some really nasty pitches for several of those K pitches among the six that he had on Sunday. He's looking good, and I said he would. I think the rhythm has been such a key for him as he continues to kind of dive into the flow of the season, a normal season compared to what he had to endure last year. I think that's only going to continue to benefit him as what it's not every fifth day, I guess, right now for the Cardinals because they're giving every starter an extra day off. It hasn't been officially announced yet by Mike Schilt as of Sunday evening of this recording, uh, but Johan Oviedo almost certainly is going to be the Cardinals starter on Wednesday night against the Phillies as the sixth man in the rotation. They're going to add Oviedo in. For, the, for probably the rest of this homestand until they're able to mix in a day off because even after this homestand is done, that'll be the Phillies series. And then they're going to go to Pittsburgh, but that's only three games over the weekend, and then they're right back to St. Louis for another week of games. And there's no off day in the midst of all of that. I believe 17 in a row is the number of games. The Cardinals are in the middle of that stretch right now. And so when they get to the end of it, who knows what the rotation will look like. But I think while it's going on, you can expect Oviedo to slot in every sixth day as the Cardinals try to stretch things out a little bit, keep everybody healthy and ready to roll for the, the long haul of this season. Jack Flaherty included in that, but hey, right now he looks great. I think he's in a perfect spot uh, to kind of get back to the dominant ways that he had at the end of 2019. And I know that it's something we continue to hearken back to when discussing Jack Flaherty, but it was magnificent, and it was something he did. I mean, it wasn't just a figment of our imagination. He went out there for darn near half a season and dominated every single time out. 
there wasn't an exception to that rule. He was good to great to exceptional every time he went out there. And when it comes to the good, that might have only happened once or twice following the beginning of July. Off the sheet, he was really, really good for the Cardinals. And so now he has this opportunity with a regular schedule, even a little bit of a beneficial schedule, to where he's getting that extra day off here and there that's, that's going to help him. But he's into a routine, and I think that's the main key. As long as the Cardinals don't have any redux of the you know COVID outbreak, which would be pretty hard to have that happen, considering the Cardinals are now above the 85% vaccinated. They're, they're beyond the two weeks of everybody being fully vaccinated. And we've seen over the course of this series over the weekend in St. Louis, different protocols in the dugouts masks are no longer required in the dugout because they've got that threshold uh, and so that's going to make life a little bit easier on the Cardinals and just allow them to be able to get back to normalcy so don't think we're going to see uh, the kind of outbreak that shuts the Cardinals down the way it happened last summer which is great news for Jack Flaherty great news for the rest of the pitchers and players as they look to delve into this rhythm of the season Cardinals back above 500 that's a great thing to see as we expect this team to be contending for this division. And when you look earlier in the in the season, you know, it's only been less than a month since we started this thing. But after a couple few weeks, it was like, well, man, the Cardinals starting pitching. I don't know if it's going to hold up. And if it doesn't hold up, I don't know if this team holds up. And I think it's pretty clear they've shown over the last turn through the rotation, which really was started by the quality start by Flaherty in his previous outing. Everybody has gone through and had a really good start. Uh, Kwon Young Kim didn't technically get the quality start because he only went five and two-thirds innings, but he only gave up one run. So that's, I, I mean, I'd take that start over a quality start that was six and three because that's a much better earned run average and you trust your bullpen to be able to get you that final out, which is what happened, taking uh, Kim off the hook, I think, for maybe a base runner or two in that in that game on Friday. But for the Cardinals and Jack Flaherty, 4-0, that's really good. I'd love to see Jack be able to get his win total up because a lot of times, you know, if if you don't get the run support, you don't get the credit maybe in the the eyes of some that look at statistics for pitchers. I know I think we're in an era where that's no longer as much of a factor, but I'm telling you, I see it on Twitter all the time. I know that that's a pervasive view among baseball fans still that you've got to have wins to be considered a great pitcher. Well, Flaherty's off to a 4-0 start. You love when every decision you have is a win, and you love when you make a decision in every start that you make, which has been the case for Flaherty so far for the Cardinals. He looks good, has a chance maybe to, to bump that win total up a little bit, and that never hurt nobody, you know how. <laughs> you love to see Flaherty try to see as close as he can get to 20. I mean, if you got four in April, you're certainly on a pace to be able to attack that 20 win total. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have to continue to produce runs for him as well and Cardinals offense did that today in a in a kind of an interesting fashion they only end up with five runs which is exactly what you want to see because we talked about almost being a little bit discouraged by the fact that sometimes they're scoring a dozen or 14 runs these ridiculous totals that just are not sustainable on a day-to-day basis and then it's like when they aren't rolling like just an absolute freight train it's almost as though it was hard for them to get up for the the game offensively and and produce more than a couple of runs here and there. Uh, Getting five is perfectly acceptable. There are going to be times where you face a good pitcher. Cardinals did that today in facing Luis Castillo, who's a very talented pitcher, is off to a slow start this season. 
but they were able to get to him for four earned runs, and they didn't stop there, adding on a run against Sean Doolittle in the eighth. That's a little bit of mix and match. You score over multiple innings. One of those innings, a crooked number. Granted, only a two, but you'll take it with the two runs that the Cardinals were able to scratch across in the fifth thanks to a home run by Tyler O'Neill. So let's get into this. Game starts out with a little bit of small ball, talking about the way the top of this Cardinals lineup has looked ever since the switch to Dylan Carlson batting number two. It's looked really good. I I talked about it, I think, on Friday, the fact that I looked at this Cardinals lineup and thought Paul Goldschmidt batting two I think is a great idea. Arenado right behind him. Get those guys both up as many plate appearances as you can. That's the way it made sense to me. But listen, if that's not what's working right now, I'm all about shaking up a lineup after a prolonged slump. And though the Cardinals only had a couple of days of slumping before the switch was made because the the final two games of that Washington series scored a total of two runs after going berserk in game one. It's kind of more of that on again, off again, feast or famine. Mike Schultz says, all right, if that's what we're doing, we're going to try to make some changes. And it's a change that a lot of Cardinals fans, I'll give everybody credit, I wasn't somebody who was beating the door down. I was saying move him to cleanup, talking about Carlson, because I just get him as many at-bats as he can, too. I just think he's slightly behind Goldsmith and Arenado in that priority for me personally when I was looking at this lineup. But they go ahead and put Carlson in the two-hole, and it worked really well. I believe I saw a stat where he's like 7 for 11 over the weekend. Uh, that's really good, obviously. And he does it in this game where Cardinals are looking to get something going in the first inning, and as the number two batter, he does something that Paul Goldsmith had talked about, feeling a responsibility in that two slot. You're not just a, a run producer RBI guy. That's certainly an element of your game when the leadoff man like Tommy Edmond can get on base, but in that two hole, your your job is just to continue the line moving along, get on base for the guys three, four, and five to make some magic happen. And after a leadoff single by Tommy Edmond, Carlson singles himself, gets Edmond over to third, and that allows for the RBI guys to do what they do. It's a little bit of a small ball mentality in this case because Goldschmidt, on a ground out, ends up scoring the run and getting the RBI in. Goldschmidt hustling all the way to be able to reach safely at first. It was Carlson thrown out at second, but that was a ball that certainly could have been a double play. Goldsmith hustles out, and I believe if you don't hustle that out and get on base to uh, force it to be considered a fielder's choice. If it's a double play, Goldsmith does not get credited with the RBI. So helps his stats to uh, be able to get to first base on that one, scoring Edmund from third. But that's just the look of this lineup. I mean, Edmund is a hitter. He flat-out hits. He's not going to walk very often, as we've talked about, but he gets on base by virtue of his ability to make contact with the baseball. And then Carlson doesn't feel the, you know, doesn't, and, and we overuse this phrase, not trying to do too much, but in that spot, Carlson, it's exactly what he's supposed to do. He's not supposed to feel like he's got to hit the ball over the wall, continue, keep the line moving, become a catalyst in that role, know your role and, and know it well. That's what Carlson does there. And look, they don't get any more hits in the rest of the inning, but ultimately getting that ground, ground ball that Paul Goldschmidt produced, it ends up being enough to get the Cardinals uh, on the board in the first inning. Then Arenado, who's having a little bit of a tough go, not not a guy you're going to be worried about, but he grounds into a double play to end the inning. And then the second inning, you get kind of the the big brawn and power that often is accustomed to uh, 2021 baseball. It's Tyler O'Neill. 
back in the starting lineup for the Cardinals, had the groin injury, ends up spending a little bit of time on the injured list, goes to the alternate site over across the river in Soje, finds his groove a little bit there. We, we kept hearing reports of home runs that he was hitting at the alternate site in some sim games. And then he comes back in the lineup today and hits not only one homer, but a second later in the game. The first one comes in the second inning, and it's a really good stroke. Kind of to the opposite field. Ball lands to the right of the batter's eye in that bleachers section. And that's what his first home run does in the second inning. And then in the fifth inning, it was the same story. Same pitcher, Luis Castillo, still in the game. Tyler O'Neill leads off, and this one just narrowly to the right of the batter's eye, but still technically kind of toward the opposite field. It was right of center, and for a right-handed hitter to be able to demonstrate that kind of power to all fields, uh, really impressive day with the swings that Tyler O'Neill was taking for the Cardinals, and they could certainly use it because we have just seen what the outfield situation, it's almost been like a, a panicky buzzword when you say outfielder, because for the Cardinals the last few years, it has not been a position that has regularly panned out. You look across the board at players that used to be outfielders in the Cardinals system, and what those guys are doing now, Randy Rosarena is the obvious name that comes to mind, and he continues to look like every bit of a superstar, and that was a flat-out miss by the Cardinals. Like, I'm not saying it's a reflection of Matthew Libertor and what his career will be, but from the moment that John Moselock said, I think it might have been at winter warm-up or uh, postseason press conference at the end of 2020, that's actually what I think it was, the end-of-season presser at, uh, like, October after the, after the Cardinals lost to the Padres, John Moselak, from the moment that he said that he, like he wasn't totally sure, like, yeah, Rosarena was, you know, the guy that the Rays ended up taking, but it wasn't like there weren't other outfielders kind of bantied about and discussed as possibilities in that trade with Tampa Bay. Once I heard that, I was like, yep, that's just a miss for the Cardinals, because if you could have found a way to trade literally any other outfielder not named Dylan Carlson and the Cardinals had plenty of, of young ones at the time, O'Neill among them, Lane Thomas among them, uh, which Lane Thomas's stock has obviously plummeted, but at the time, I don't know how far-fetched it might have been uh, for him to have been considered. Harrison Bader is another one. He was talked about in trade rumors with the Mets. We heard that offseason, but the Cardinals weren't interested in, in what was being offered over the last couple of years. And they like Harrison Bader for a lot of very good reasons, in my opinion. I still think Bader is a, a good and productive player. Tyler O'Neill, obviously, with what he did today, could could turn out to be uh, the, the power bat that the Cardinals would like to see kind of back up the Goldsmiths and Arenados in the middle of the lineup. He could certainly be that. He could he could become that and finally you know realize the potential that they've been hoping for from Tyler O'Neill ever since they got him from Seattle for uh, for Marco Gonzalez. But Randy Arozarena is what he is. Like, I don't think this guy's slowing down, and he's just shown enough outlandishly good, exceptional baseball plays and in, in, in home run hitting ability. I mean, he's he's got all the tools. The the catch he made the other night, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Randy Arozarena in the, the weird dome whatever they have that they're playing in Tampa, I believe is where this was where this took place. It was a, a closed roof situation ball gets lost in the lights by the center fielder and he's not even close to it just looking up basically saying i'm toast 
And from off the screen, Randy Rosarena comes flying in from left field to make a really athletic diving catch. And I think he hit a home run later in that game. Like, it's his world. We're just living in it. But I do all this. I bring all this up to show the point that the Cardinals have got a need, a desire, and a a craving, I would say, to get some production out of the outfielders they still have so that people can stop talking about the ones that got away. And Arena is the obvious one. But Randall Grishik, by the way, having a really good start to the season with an OPS over 900. And what the heck is going on with Adelis Garcia, the former Cardinals outfielder, 28 years old, uh, still rookie eligible because he hadn't got a whole lot of playing time. He's down there doing crazy things for the Texas Rangers. His OPS is above 900, and he's hit, hit several key home runs. I don't know that that's going to last necessarily, but you know he was a guy that was a bomber in the minors, and if I recall correctly, the Cardinals ended up just kind of getting rid of him. It was either a DFA or a, a, a trade where they didn't really get anything back because he was like number six or seven in the pecking order. And look, they, you come up with these pecking orders because we hear what the organization says about guys and we hear and see how they treat different guys and it's not difficult as fans or the media to come up with okay this is apparently how the organization views these players and in which guys have precedent over another Garcia was not among the top five or maybe even six at the time Cardinals outfielders and now he's producing I'm not going to rip the team for that one just yet I mean it doesn't look good though right when you have Lane Thomas have the struggles he had a week or so ago before he gets sent down. You have literally Scott Hurst on the roster right now who we don't know a whole lot about, just hasn't you know gotten gotten into very many games for the Cardinals and doesn't have a huge track record, so kind of an unknown at this point of what he'll be at the big league level. And you've got guys going to other cities, other teams, and producing as legitimate bona fide starters and, and in some cases middle-of-the-order bats while the Cardinals continue to kind of look for their mix in the outfield to figure out exactly what they want it to be. Good news, though, I think is on the horizon with the fact that Dylan Carlson is red hot, as I mentioned. Tyler O'Neill getting things going on Sunday. I, I don't know if he's ever going to be the consistent thumper that you'd think he could be if he were able to cut down on the strikeouts and cut down on the chasing pitches out of the strike zone. But it could happen. I mean, it's not impossible. I hate to count a guy out. That's just not something I like to do because I recognize that these are, you know, while they're baseball players, professional athletes expected to perform at a high level, but it's as Tony La Russa would say, men not machines. These are guys that are aware of their flaws. They're working to try to fix them and become the best versions of themselves that they can be. And for Tyler O'Neill, he talked about today simplifying the approach. He feels like he got the opportunity to kind of reset things after a tough start to the season uh, during his time at the alternate site. Because if you remember, this guy was the Cardinals' best hitter in spring training. And then when the season starts, he hits that first home run on opening day. And then the next week or so really struggled to find any traction for the Cardinals. And then he injured the groin and went on the injured list. And people at that point, I think, were kind of writing him off understandably to the extent that, like, look, spring training is great to be able to succeed down there is a, a better than not succeeding. Like, all things being equal, you'd rather do well than not do well, even in an exhibition game. But when it comes to the regular season, 
the, the competition gets ratcheted up and you have to be able to perform and you have to be able to do it consistently. And O'Neill wasn't doing that. And I think some people kind of felt like, well, this is just a, a rehash of what we've seen from him before. We know he's got the potential. We know he'll occasionally pop one, but uh, to be able to do it on a more consistent basis, just maybe it doesn't look like it's part of his game. Well, he even admitted that he was having some trouble getting away from really what made him successful during that stint earlier in this month when he wasn't doing well. Was chasing pitches too much, was trying to you know force the issue, and that's what we're talking about when people say didn't try to do too much. The phrase itself, overused, but I think the premise of it does stand that there are instances where guys do try to do too much because they're pressing they, f- they can feel themselves not performing, and it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where they, they try to hit you know that grand slam with nobody on base every time they're up to bat. It just It's not always going to be the, the way to go about things. And so for O'Neill, whatever it is that he was able to do to, to simplify his approach, maybe it's a mentality, maybe it's, look, swing at good pitches in the strike zone and, and get the barrel to it. That's pretty much what he's always talked about doing going all the way back to previous spring trainings where he would have a good day. I remember, you know, asking him, you know, what was, what'd you see out there? Well, just try to get the bail to the ball. He's not a guy that gets, you know, waxes poetic about, about hitting when he, when he talks to us and that's perfectly fine. He's a guy that when he's going right, he knows what he's looking to do and that's damage, but it's hard to do damage when you're swinging at the wrong pitches. And so today he certainly found the way to swing at the right pitches he kept himself within himself and hit two really, really good balls against Luis Castillo to help the Cardinals to this 5-2 to two win. And mentioned kind of bookending the two different ways the Cardinals came about their scoring. You'd think that the boppers at the top of the lineup, the Carlsons, the Arenados, the Goldschmidts, that those are the guys that'd be whacking home runs and that's how you score your runs. Not the way it happened. Today it was O'Neill providing the power in the top of the order, though, continued to grind away at bats and find ways to score. It was Dylan Carlson. I love this play from Carlson. One of the more memorable at-bats of the day for me. Uh, gets into a, a deep count against Sean Doolittle there in the eighth inning, and he lost one toward the right field line, hustling all the way to first base, watching the play because it's unfolding in front of him and sees that it drops in fair, and he just keeps going and glides into second base with a nice slide to be able to beat the throw. It wasn't a ball that was hit particularly deep, but it hung up in the air for long enough, and he was able to get a really good read on it and turn it into a double, which is what it should have been for a guy of his ability, speed, and athleticism. Just a really nice play to to set things up. So it's another example. Carlson has a catalyst for the Cardinals' offense, and it's once again Paul Goldschmidt driving in the run, singles him in, and the Cardinals are able to tack on another run against the Reds' bullpen. I should say the first run against the Reds' bullpen in this game because the other four came against Castillo. And then it didn't end up factoring into the score, but it was interesting to see Goldschmidt get a stolen base. Sean Doolittle was simply just not paying attention uh, to to him on the base paths and Goldschmidt able to get his first steal of the 2021 season. He was a guy that back with the Diamondbacks, he he had a couple of 30-30 seasons, I believe. I know he had at least one. Uh, stolen bases has not been as much a part of his game as he gets a little older since he's joined St. Louis, but he's still a very good base runner. The foot speed maybe isn't exactly a, 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 what, it, what it was or isn't as much of a, 
priority to maintain at this point for him in his career. But uh, certainly as a base runner, he does a, a really good job and was just noticing that Doolittle was totally oblivious to him running the bases. So that was cool to see. But otherwise, just a really sturdy game played by the Cardinals. They're able to get things going in multiple innings, as I mentioned, and a, a good job to be able to win a series and sweep a series against one of your division rivals. I've talked about that being one of the keys to this season. Just take care of the teams in your division because you're going to play them enough and you're going to be able to dictate whether or not these guys are contenders alongside you. The more you beat those teams into submission, the more it's going to be difficult for them to to catch you. If they're not above 500 and you are, you're in a position to win the division. Now the Brewers right now, I think, are still going to be the team that I'm watching as far as the Cardinals are concerned with competition in the NL Central. They're above 500 by five games at this point. 13-8 and eight is their record. Uh, the Cardinals, though, have elevated to second place just before this series began against the Reds. I believe they were actually in dead last by a margin of percentage points, but Right now, the Cardinals chasing the Brewers. Just keep beating up on everybody in the division, and it's all going to work out at the end of the day. There are too many games there against teams that are beatable. And the Brewers, you better watch out for, though. Brandon Woodruff had another good start today for them. Corbin Burns goes tomorrow. He's he's I say he's my guy. He's the guy I decided I'm going to be collecting his baseball cards as kind of a, a PC in the, in the card world, personal collection, because I think he's only going to continue to get better. And Corbin Burns, I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. I, I kind of forget where I say my different things. Corbin Burns could very well win the Cy Young this year. I would not be surprised by that. And I kind of started thinking that after his second start, I think it was his second start or whichever start he had against the Cardinals, I was like, man, this guy looks really good. And I don't think 2020 was just a a fluke for him. I think this guy might just be that good. So it's going to be interesting to see him continue to go along throughout the 2021 season. He's certainly been the best pitcher in the National League so far this year. And Cy Young, that's kind of my bold prediction. I think he ends up winning it. I don't think this is something he's going to let up. In fact, I just traded for him in fantasy baseball today. Uh, It's a league that has a little bit of complicated settings as far as keepers go. But essentially, it's an auction draft process, and everybody has a dollar amount assigned to them. And every year, if you want to continue to keep the guy, it's $5 more than the previous year. So I was wise and, and picked up Wander Franco of the Rays for like nothing um, a couple of years ago. And then last year, we didn't end up doing the league because of COVID. We just kind of said, we'll carry it over into the next year. And so I've got Wander Franco for 5 bucks this year. Decided to trade him. I gave him up along with Brandon Lau of the Rays, the second baseman slash outfielder. And I gave up Bruce Dark Gratterall as well reliever for the the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. And I pick up Corbin Burns and C.J. Abrams, a shortstop prospect that allows me to replace Wander Franco without being too upset. So uh, that's how much I'm into Burns. I gave up Wander for him, and I'm a huge fan of that guy. I do have Wander in another league, though, for uh, dynasty purposes. So no worries. I'll still be uh, I'll still have my uh, my skin in the game on that guy whenever the Rays eventually bring him up. I can't wait for the minor league season to start because then we can start seeing what some of these prospects and stuff are going to, guys like that are going to be able to do because we just really have no idea. We haven't seen them for a year. And so like what levels are guys going to start at? That's going to be kind of a mystery. And then you're going to see it and you're going to say, okay, what was their development in the year that we didn't get to see them playing competitive games? Some of them were at the alt site, but many others throughout minor league baseball just 
had to do it all on their own. So going to be interesting to see what the, the the scope of the minor leagues looks like when all that gets rolling. I've been going for 36 minutes, though. It's going to be time to wrap things up for this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate, as always, you guys listening, being along for the ride with me as we cover this Cardinals baseball season. Make sure to subscribe to be right there for all the podcasts as they drop. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know the drill. You've heard me talk about it if you've listened to previous episodes. But if you haven't, make sure that you're on board for the rest of the season by subscribing now. That would be super awesome if you do that. I wrote about Tyler O'Neill today for KMOV.com. You can head over to their website and find that story and expect to see some more stories from me throughout this week as the Cardinals take on the Phillies at Bush Stadium looking to keep the starting pitching magic that they've had of late rolling. Appreciate you guys once again, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shave Daily.